Hey everybody, this is Raymundo Gonzalez. And this is Jamani Rosario. Welcome to the Latinx Guard Podcast. We hope you enjoy the show. Remember, everything we say is just for fun. Nothing's meant to be taken too seriously. If you are going to be a hater, stay a hater. But either way, support. Welcome everybody to Latinx Guard Podcast, episode 17. A quick shout out to all our sponsors for the show. Shout out to CMB Bakery on 7th Street between Avenue A and Avenue B. Run by one of our students, Ali. It is probably the best bakery in New York City. It's definitely the best. Definitely the, the best. best. If you want croissants, chocolate croissants, Queen of Ma's, donuts, they even make halal bread, right? They make tons of breakfast sandwiches. Um, it, it's just some of the best make food burgers. and coffee in New York City. Shout out to CMB Bakery, again, located on 7th Street between Avenue A and Avenue B. Shout out to 7th Street Burger, multiple locations around the city. If you want multiple. one of the best burgers that's internet trending right now, if you look on Twitter, it's probably hashtag 7th Street Burger trending on Twitter. They had another video go viral. It is probably one of the best smash burgers that I have ever had. It's the best I've had. 7th Street Burger located on 7th Street. Or multiple locations around the city. Check Google Maps, wherever. Don't let me do all the work for you. And then our newest sponsor for the show. They've been secretly sponsoring the show the entire time. But I want to give them a credible shout out today. Shout out to Show Your Roll. Woo! Like I said, if you watch the what your gear says about you, Show Your Roll geese are the best geese in the game. If you want to be fashionable, if you want to be trendy, if you just want a good quality functioning gi, I've never had a Shoyuro gi rip on me, and I've been training for over eight years at a pretty intense level. I think Jobani has too. Jobani, tell them about Shoyuro gis. Shoyuro is the best. All the gis that I have are from Shoyuro. If you want to not only look cool, but if you want superpowers given to you by your uniform, go get a Shoyuro. Exactly. If you want to fly around like Superman, if you want telescopic vision, get Shoyuro gis. If you want to never tap again, <laughs> get Shoyuro gis. Now we're back to the episode. Okay, I just... I. <laughs> I'm going to start bugging out, okay? I know we have a topic. <laughs> I know you probably clicked on this because we were going to talk about competition part two, but I just have to get it out there. I just have to get Pendejo of the Week out of the way. You know, it's funny. Somebody came to me. He's like, yo, no, but we didn't give Pendejo of the Week last week. People, but, yeah. But I was like, whenever there's not a Pendejo, there's always a Pendejo it's because always. The, the always Pendejo of the Week is Black Horse. And it's funny enough that you say that because special highlight Pendejo <laughs> of the Week today is... Black Horse. So does it make oh, him a two-time two on the same well, pod? Technically, it'd be a 17-time. <laughs> he's always there. Or the he's, always, he's always there. Shout-outs to Black Horse. But let me let me tell you a story. So, <sighs> oh, man. There was a couple weeks ago when Black Horse <laughs> came up to a lot of the hosts in a bar. And I don't know if he was already sazuled or like... He he was, you're going to out him with this story. He yeah, was just no, feeling no. himself. He right? was sazuled for sure. But Black Horse was like, I'm a judo master. I'm a D1 wrestler. No he one he wanted to have D1 school. No one can he take me down. School. <laughs> no one can take me down. I am <laughs> I am the takedown champion of clockwork. And then we're the all world. we're all looking at him and we're like, huh? What are you talking about? I've taken you down multiple times. No, didn't happen. And I, I am just Bewildered. There's 20 right. people in the bar who had taken him down. <laughs> but that day, he said only four people at no, that point. Only two people. Oh, I'm sorry. Him. Only two people well, had taken him down. This is the Genesis. Yeah. yeah, yeah. At different. that point, yeah. And only one of them was an amateur MMA fighter. Mm -hmm. And the other one was on the, um, the French Olympic judo team. So if you weren't on that caliber of athlete, and they were both 240 you, pounds you, of muscle. You could, if you're not that kind of athlete, now you can't take, you can't take him down. No. Now, here's where it gets good. It started with two people, and then four other people since then have taken him down. 
So there's a literal Mount Rushmore of people who have taken down the black horse. Okay? This is not only Pendejo of the Week, but an open challenge to our listeners. If you manage to take down the black horse and film it, we will shout you out on the podcast. Right? You if you ever wanted to be shouted out on the Latinx Guard podcast, this is your way to do it. Before we open up the Patreon, before we open up any sponsorships, opportunities, this is your way to get on the podcast. Your name on the podcast. We have some people that listen in from other countries. We might be having intercontinental challenges for Black Horse. We're going to bring some belts out. We're going to get this. a sumo wrestler. And I know a lot of people are probably wondering, wow. His wrestling must be top notch, Ray. Can you, it is. It, can, can you guys please tell us a little bit about uh, the wrestling from our well, resident black horse? He's I'll, I'll say things that are blatantly true, right? So he's well over two hundred pounds, mm-hmm. which <laughs> <laughs> he's um, he did wrestle. He has an amateur record. Um, let's see what else. He, he did do judo. He did do judo. <laughs> He, he did do like judo, classes. and um, that's it. That's all I can say. That's all I can say, like, w- without using hyperbole. Got it. So, if you ever wanted to be featured on the Latinx Guard podcast, this is it. I, I am putting out the open challenge. It's Go open. Ahead. It's out there. And if, if you take him down, I will buy you a caffeinated beverage. There you so go. The bouncy is there out. Is, there is an actual reward for it now. Say less. It's, it's just, this, this wouldn't have come to this level if every time he got taken down by somebody new... He was just like, you know what? Stop I, the count. Yes. I was I was bugging out. Fake news. Yeah, I need to work on my takedowns. Okay. Yeah, you guys open. I'll just train harder. No, he just doubles down every time. Every time. Every it time. It was a guard pull. It was a guard pull. It didn't count. That's not a real takedown. So you didn't have control. He didn't have control. No, I reviewed it. I reviewed it. And I judged. It didn't count. <laughs> we need three separate objective refs to count the takedown. Do you, do you feel like other schools out there have their own black horse? Yes. Every school has a black horse. Every social group has a black horse. Now, do you think that... I don't even want to say our black horse. I went to Japan, and they had a black horse. I don't want to say our black horse, but do you think the the black horse we're (laughs) talking about is the more superior black horse out there? No. 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 Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. I I think there are superior black horses. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Like, we were talking about this. (laughs) If you go to B-team jiu-jitsu... actually wrestle... You go to B Team Jiu Jitsu, their black horse is J Rod, right? So J Rodriguez. Yeah, J Rodriguez. Yeah, Jay Rodriguez. Um, at B Team, like everybody just suns him, right? Yeah. And like he's like the people that they all make. He's like Pendejo of the Week every week over there. Like, oh, look, he's a bomb. I tapped well, him 15 times. Uh, yeah. well, I mean, I think J Rod won trials. I no, so that's the thing. No, that's, yeah, that's, that's the right. thing. <laughs> like, I don't like, know if you what's like, going on. <laughs> Because he sunned those guys at trials. He, he went, crushed them. Yeah, it it was ass. literally the most challenging ADCC trials in history. It was like had, 300 people in his bracket. He had seven matches to gold, right? And most of those, a lot of those people in the final stages of the bracket uh, meddled at the trials before. So they weren't scrubs, yeah. right? Maybe like the first three, first four were scrubs. But like definitely the last match, that yeah. guy was like the runner up of the previous ADCC trials. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, it was crazy deep. And he still managed to win the entire thing. And it was just, I think it was his first trials actually competing. Yeah. So it's crazy that the black horse of that gym is Jay Rodriguez. Yeah. Who that is, is. Yeah. So if you're talking about like a black horse contest, <laughs> he like, would win. He would I win. mean, damn. So do you don't even, you don't think he even cracks your top 10 of black horses? Well, he tops my 
personally, I, I don't, top I don't, 10. I don't know if I know that many black horses. I don't even think I want to know that many black horses. <laughs> I have like three black horses in my life. And where and where does this one rank? It has to be at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, let's just say that. You don't even know the it other has, two. It has. I know the other two, bro. Oh, man. It has to be at the bottom. Okay. Word. Thanks for coming in. Episode 17. Let's actually get back on track. So... What we're going to talk about today is basically a part two of an episode that we had very early on in our podcast, uh, competition. Without yeah, without Grahalas. And I'm sure he has a lot to say about competition. And actually, this is actually a very credible episode, right? I just want to shout out my boys really quickly. Giovanni happens to be a Pan Am champion, right? He doesn't like to talk Fair. about it. He's very humble. But it's a very impressive accomplishment. He is a no-gi Pan Am champion back when he was in New York. One of my favorite competitions to go to because it was very accessible. Word. And it was just straight no-gi, so you didn't have to make weight twice. That's always that's fake news. That <laughs> always sucks when you're at a competition and you have to weigh in for the gi and win weigh for no-gi. So trash. It's so trash. Especially when your divisions are like six hours apart and you have to maintain weight. Yeah. Even It's terrible. Anyway, the Giovanni's a no-gi Pan Am champ. Great accomplishment. And then my boy right over here is an American Nationals champ, right? Hey. Anthony Nelson Grahalis. Word. American Nationals champ. The, the America's champ. America's America. Champ. So we have two people that have medaled in some of the highest um, caliber of competitions in the IBJF. Um, I'm really proud of them, and I'm really happy that we can have them on the podcast. And now we're just going to talk shit about competing. So that's the <laughs> only nice thing Ray has ever said about me in his whole life. <laughs> so I have never won anything, um, but... You, you want to... I'm a Naga Pan Am I'm a Naga Pan We both won the UAE JJF oh, back yeah. at Queens College. That in like 2019. Year, yeah, right, yeah. Like, like literally right before fuck, the year before COVID. Yeah. Um, so I have won a couple of competitions, so I guess I'll toot my own horn. Um, hell yeah. Let's talk about stuff that we haven't really talked about in the previous <coughs> episode. In the previous episode, we went more about like mentality, the practicality of it, like paying for the competition, making weight, what you should bring. Today, we're really going to talk about like how you should prepare training-wise, your competition mindset going into it, rather like the day of the tournament, um, techniques that we feel that are rather the ways that people should start competing, like um, the actual game plan that people should go into. Uh, how you should feel in between matches, what are the best ways to compete in between matches, and it, whether you plan on doing multiple divisions and some of the tournaments that you should build up to. So, like, which tournament should you do, in what order, and what you should eventually build up to. A lot of topics that we want to talk about today. So, what we're just going to talk about, starting off, is just, uh, again, our general experiences competing and some of the things that... Just the actual act of competing. So we're on the mat for the first time. Things that we would have done a little bit differently, either technique-wise or practically-wise. So, Jomani, why don't you go first? You're on the mat for the first time, right? You're competing for the first time. Maybe it was a white belt. Maybe it was a blue belt. If you could look back and technically give yourself some advice, what would you say? Um, man, for one, bring toilet paper. Word. So these, these venues, Word. if you've ever been to a jiu-jitsu tournament, these fucking venues are a disaster. Um, but, you know, if I'm at the mat at this point, you know, just, like, calm down. It's all these competitions at the end of the day. They're for the experience. That said, you know, um, I think I would have... By that point, it would have been too late to kind of give myself the advice, but to apply into next one is like just have some of, just have routines, right? Have a routine on the way to the tournament before, you know, like a routine that you used to warm up. And, you know, by that point, by the time I get to the mat, it's just visualizing. So I would probably tell myself, like, just focus on your game plan. I mean, I don't know wh how much of a game plan I had by that, t by that point. Like my first comp was six months into training, you know, it was a sub only tournament. So like, you know, 
I would have told myself just have a little bit more fun and take a little bit more nerves out of it. I think, um, I, I mean, I, I tend to be nervous no matter what. I think a lot of us are. Um, but that would have been it, you know, because by that point, there's nothing else to do but just go out there and do jujitsu the same thing we do every day. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you, Anthony? Uh, I think I would give myself pretty similar advice. Like if I was coaching myself, like 10 minutes before I came out onto the competition mats, there's, I'm not going to give myself like really specific technical advice. Right. And also like the first time I competed was an in-house tournament at the gym I train at. And I was like one month into training. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything. <laughs> and I was just, I would just tell myself like, listen, just calm down have fun. Just go try the moves that you know and don't get hurt. And I mean, luckily I, I didn't. Like I was able to go out and not get hurt. So that was a good outcome. Yeah. But I didn't... Nothing more than that would have helped me. Just go out, and, and that's the same advice I give to people. I'm like, if you feel comfortable training hard and you feel comfortable tapping when you're supposed to tap, then just go out and do the thing and go to work afterwards. Don't get goofed up. Yeah. Um, the advice that I would have given myself is somewhat in line to what Giovanni said, which is it literally does not matter, right? Um, I think the first competition that you're in, the first match that you're in, I think it should all be to see how you feel about competing in general. Agreed. Right? It shouldn't. You should not have an outcome-based mindset on your first competition. Um, if anything, the outcome should be entirely personal. Right? Yeah. How do you feel about competing? Do you like that it makes you nervous? Some people like the fact that they start freaking out. Right? Yeah. They just like the adrenaline dump. They like everything. And if that's what you like, great. Then competing is for you. But if you don't, if you feel there's way too much pressure, if you feel like the outcome doesn't align with the amount of effort that you have to put in if you don't like how far it is how much the tournament costs if you don't like the fact that in competition people tend to roll a lot harder right and the fact that i i believe that you are at most risk of injury at competitions yeah. because you're training against people who you've never trained with before you don't know if they're spazzes if they're freakazoids how strong they are if they're going to respect the tap right so if you don't like that and if you just don't like making weight, if you don't like anything about it, right, then right. I think that is should be the best advice that I can give somebody. Just, like, take everything in, right? Take everything more than the matches. Like, how do you feel at the venue? How do you feel being around your teammates who are also competing? If you don't like any of it, then competing isn't for you, right? But if you yeah. love it, if you, like, had a great time, if you want to do it again, then, like, great. Then competing should be for you, or, or at least you should make an effort to do it a little bit more or make an effort to do it again, right? To see if you still feel this way after multiple competitions. I think that's the most important um, uh, a piece of advice that I would give myself if I was competing again. Just take your mind off of the outcome of winning and more of how you feel after the competition and during the competition. Yeah. Um, no, I 100% agree. Great. So now we're going to go into some technical advice, right? We're going to go into like some specific game plans, right? How people should train leading up to a tournament. Um, let's start with the training, right? So personally, I believe that you should be, if you're first starting doing competitions, you should be doing a lot of uh, positional specific sparring and um, outcome-based sparring. So I think that when you first start training, you should have an idea of what moves or positions you generally tend to fall into when you're sparring in class the most. Notice how I didn't say moves that you're good at, right? Just move, moves and positions that you tend to fall in the most when you're sparring. Do you fall into half guard a lot? Do you find yourself pulling close guard a lot? Do you find yourself being able to take a lot of people down either from the knees or standing and get on top of people a lot so you're passing a lot? Just finding the positions where you're in most often because you want to get into those same positions when you're in competition, right? Just because those are the positions where you're going to feel the most comfortable and your muscle memory is going to be able to take what over. If, what if the position is bottom mount? <laughs> so <laughs> so the, this is actually a good question, right? I, I, I also agree that if you find yourself getting bottom mounted a lot, 
and you just feel like everybody squishes you, you should be able to know how to get out of bottom mount very quickly. Word. And this is where I said you should be able to do a lot of positional sparring. If you know that you're able to get mounted really easily, you don't want to stay there for six minutes in a competition, right? Or even three don't minutes in competition. So I think a lot of your training should be getting out of mount, learning mount defense, learning mount counter defense. I think mount is a terrible spot to be in. But I think if we look at some of the weirder metas in jiu-jitsu history... A lot of those 10th Planet guys actually pulled bottom mount to get to single leg X, right? Yeah. To get to, le- to those leg entanglements. I'm not saying do that. I'm not saying pull mount to get to single leg X. Yeah. But if you, when you find yourself in mount, you can actually turn that into an opportunity to get single leg X because you've trained that a lot. That's not a bad outcome. Word. Right? You can easily turn that into a counter defensive option, right? Um, if you know a little bit of tips and tricks, it, it, this will also help you train or this will help also help your jiu-jitsu in the long run because... Uh, positional specific sparring just will make you stronger in the positions that you were once weekend before. So if you spend two months, six weeks just working on your bottom mount, that's going to help you all the way to black belt, right? Those six months that you spent, or those six weeks that you spent training bottom mount defense are going to pay off in spades when you're a purple belt, brown belt. Yeah, they're then, not lost. Yeah, they're definitely not lost. So I think that positional sparring and then um, situational specific sparring are probably the best way to get... Um, ready for a competition, or at least when you first start getting ready for a competition. Jabani, yeah. what do you think? I mean, <clears throat> I like the, the terms you used. Um, I, d- I didn't have those terms specifically, but I, I, I agree 100%. Um, when leading to a competition, especially when you're first, when, you don't, when you're new to the sport and you're new to competing, it's important to figure out what your game is. And it's easy, especially now with jiu-jitsu and, you know, it's growing as a sport. Um, you hear systems a lot. You hear game, game plan, and all that stuff. But a lot of us didn't know how to do it or don't know how to do it, right? So, like, <clears throat> um, that that kind of that structure of training is very important to help us figure out what, like you said, really important to find the positions you constantly find yourselves in. And I, and I, t- I say that a lot to my students, like when you're training, like pay attention, be aware of where you're, where you're at. And, and the more familiar your body becomes, like the less time you have to think in these positions. Um, but as for prepping for training, yeah, I think uh, situational specific training is very, very important. Um, obviously trying to get in some competition rounds in there, but as we've learned over the years, you know, I think that old school mentality of train, train, train hard all the time is not necessarily the only way to go about it. You know, like that rest and recovery, you know, the the drilling is really important. Um, I think it's important to work and train just overall. Like you might not, you don't have to be a wrestler. I mean, I know a lot of guard pullers get, you know, a lot of jokes on the internet about being guard pullers. But, you know, if, you, if, you're, if your intention is to pull guard, like work on your stand-up game. If you want to foot sweep, then work on that. Like you should have... Um, an idea of what you're trying to do, right? And same thing when you're playing guard or same thing when you're passing, right? Like you should have, uh, that's where the situational and structured training comes into play because once you figure out where your game is, then you can start to apply it in, during your live roles. And then obviously everybody's going to give you different looks, but you know, there's no one perfect way. I think a uh, good balance between uh, structure training, drillings, positional sparring and live competition rounds um, and I know we kind of talked about this last time we talked about competition, but then there's the other stuff outside of it, right? Like, I think strength and conditioning is really important to help prep for it just because, you know, especially the, with the sport becoming more professional, like just the jujitsu alone isn't going to do be enough. Um, but prepping for it, definitely like a balance between situationals, drilling, and um, even drilling itself. Like there's a bunch of different ways to drill, like some maybe a little bit of resistance. And you can having a partner that is um, 
aware of their body, you definitely don't want to get kicked in the face when you're just trying to learn some shit. Um, but yeah, how about you, Anthony? I, I'm going to like largely agree with both of you, which is to say that I think doing a lot of positional sparring is good. But where I might slightly disagree with what Ray said is I think a lot of your positional sparring should be situations that you get caught in a lot that you're not good at. Yeah. Like if you're constantly getting stuck in knee shield half guard and you're like, oh shit, I don't know how to pass knee shield half guard, I'm <laughs> fucked. And if you're getting into those situations a lot, you should spend time going there to have like a, a more proactive plan or maybe there's a certain submission that's like your kryptonite that you need to get better at dealing with. So you need to get better at recognizing it and you need to get better at defending it early, late, etc. So I think you should work on situations that you get stuck in a lot that aren't necessarily situations that you are good at. But I also think that you should go to the positions you're good at a lot that you're able to actually get to. Because it's one thing to just be like, oh, you know, I'm really good at this one heel hook finish from saddle, but I can never, ever, ever get to saddle. It's like, okay, well, maybe don't start in saddle. Maybe work on an entry to get there from a few different places, do it dead, then do it with more resistance, and then start in a position that's adjacent and do it a lot. And then, like you said, doing your competition rounds, going really hard with people who are like roughly near your skill level if you can, and then trying to enforce that game. Like trying to go through those positions with like a lot of resistance where they're not giving anything to you. I think that's probably the best way to work on your skills just in general for jujitsu, but especially if you're if you're trying to get have a like a positive outcome and you're trying to get good at like a small number of things for competition, I think that's some combination of that is the right way to train for yeah. sure. Well, one thing that I think most people don't take advantage of enough is the knowledge of their instructors. Right? I when I'm specifically I don't think people stay after class or even during class and ask enough questions. Yeah. I think when people are doing the technique, when the instructor is showing them, maybe it's not even like a technique they're eventually going to use. But there's something you can learn from every single technique. How to correctly you know, balance, like how to like make sure to control the position. Maybe uh, there's a lesson in posture there. Whatever it is, like right? a certain grip or yeah, whatever. Yeah, certain grip, whatever, right? Maybe you even learn how to do this technique so you don't have it done on you, right? I think like understanding right. a technique is a great way to learn. also learn how to defend it because then you learn what the you shouldn't allow your opponent to do to do this specific technique, right? But what I don't understand, maybe I do understand, maybe some people are just shy. And or, or maybe they heard you talk about how don't ask me two questions or I'm going to charge you. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe they heard you listen to the podcast. Pod. That's what it was. <laughs> they listen to the podcast. But if, if I'm on the clock, right, if I'm teaching a class, right, then my job is to answer questions. My right. job is to help you do the move or facilitate your digital knowledge in whatever way. Right. You should be willing, if you're, especially if you're thinking about competing, to ask more and more questions from your instructor, right? About anything, right? Yeah. Hey, I'm in closed guard and my opponent does this weird thing with their hand, right? See what your instructor says about it. I don't really like the excuse that like some people are like, oh, I don't feel like competing because I don't come from a competitive school. Like if you have like a high level, well, if you have like a brown belt or a black belt at your school and you're still like a white belt or a blue belt, chances are they have a lot more knowledge that you can use, right? Than even if you did train at like AOJ or right. Atos or Unity or Team Lauder, wherever, right? You don't need to have a high-quality instructor just to have, like, a good performance at a competition, right? Yeah. Especially when I at a low-level competition. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of value to that. If you're trying to beat, like, Philippe Pena, like, on WNO or something like that, yeah. then, yeah, it probably helps to have, like, really high-level training sure. partners. But if you're thinking about, oh, I don't know, I'm thinking about doing this grappling industries or even I'm thinking about doing this, like, IBJJF Open or whatever it is, then you don't need to be doing pro training four times a week to excel at those events. Yeah. Right? And I, and I definitely feel that um, some people don't take advantage of the amount of resources at their specific school. 
Like, ask around. Ask if anybody is looking to do more drilling before or after class. Ask if anybody wants to do more rounds. Ask if anybody just wants to talk about jiu-jitsu. And this is a great thing, too. If you just ask around, like, who wants to watch this new Craig Jones um, false reap allegations DVD with me at my place? <laughs> That's just a great way to spend time with more people. Yeah. Right? You'll just, you're just like, hey, let's grab some beers. Let's watch the heel hooks. Let's and like, let's, I got some pizza. <laughs> yeah, I got some pizza, bro. Back at my place. I got mats, Let, too, bro. Yeah. <laughs> It could be a day. Yeah, it could be a day. Like, that's how you spend more time with people, right? Um, especially in the jiu-jitsu community. I-, I think this is just, like, the same observation that we see in, like, colleges and high school where, like, the students who take advantage of those office hours that are- is offered by the professor tend to do better in class. Yeah. Right? So if you take advantage of those office hours by a professor where he's just sitting on his phone in the corner, like, waiting for class to be over or waiting for his ride to get here or whatever, waiting for his girlfriend, his white belt girlfriend to show up and pick him up after class. Word. <laughs> right? Then... <laughs> Like, ask him a question, yeah. right? And if he doesn't hit you with the Raimundo, like, that'll be $75 for your six minutes of your time, then, you know, you're really lucky that your instructor is uh, willing to help you, right? And yeah. I think most instructors are. Um, I wanted to circle back to something Anthony said. Um, I th- Back to, like, the way you train. Like, it's I think it's sometimes overlooked working out of those bad positions, right? We talked, like, working out of mount, working out of your back. It, not only is it important to know how to get out of there, but I think sometimes we're afraid to work out of these bad positions because you're so focused on work good i gotta stay dominant dominant but sometimes we know we've competed enough that like sometimes you do get your back taken sometimes you do get mounted and you got to know how to get out of there so that's really important and to what ray said you know ask questions i know me i've always been pretty shy kind of lean towards being introverted more and like i i don't ask questions because of that a lot of times or, or didn't right but like Ray said, in you know, ask the your instructor, ask the the higher ranks around you. This map people with knowledge. That's the you know cool thing about jujitsu is like you're in a room that's essentially like a search engine. Like you can usually go to an upper belt, be like, "Yo, do you know anything about this? Oh, can I ask you a quick question? You know." So it's like there's there's so many resources and stuff. You know, don't be so hesitant to ask these questions. You know. Yeah, uh, I also think that before you do any competition, I think you should give private lessons a try. Right. Just for the simple fact that you will have the one on one time with an instructor. Hopefully there is an instructor or a high level belt there, higher level belt there who has done a competition before. And they can tell you all the stuff that we're telling you just face to face. Right. Right. The fact that, oh, where's your weight at right now? Well, I think this is the best weight class for you. Do you have a gi that's in this color? Because if you just come in wearing your Batman gis, yeah. like, and then you're not uh, thinking about competing in an algae, you might have to get an IBGF legal gi. And sometimes there's no one to tell people this because, right. again, like in our competition episode, people don't read the rules. They show up in their red Power Ranger gi, and then they can't compete because they don't have an extra gi, right? And then... Somebody should also tell you what I want to go into, what your game plan should be. What does this game plan word even mean, right? right? What I think it means is, and this is a great to have a uh, private instructor tell you this because they can tailor make a game plan for you. And I think Grahalis has a very good instance of this where he had multiple students uh, come up to him thinking about a game plan. And they had large success with the techniques that he showed them, right? It might have been the game plan that they were as ready to adopt because they might have been new techniques, but they were very high-level techniques that worked at the lower-level divisions. They were able to just go in just and do it, especially do it. because it was proactive. Yeah, and he, they were only able to get this information because they took the time to pay Grahalas for his time in a private lesson, and they got great results out of it. But what I'm saying when it comes to a game plan is just have a set of techniques or a set of outcomes that you always want to get to in this tournament, right? Or in these matches specifically, right? 
have an image of how you want the match to go and as closely as you can try to replicate that image physically on the mats now of course like um one of the great generals said no plant ever survives first contact with the enemy right so no plant ever survives first contact with the enemy i think you should also be willing to this is where like the competition rounds come in because they're a little bit crazier, a little bit more unpredictable, right? Then it'll go into like the more instinctive muscle memory of your jiu-jitsu good versus bad knowledge. But as much as you can help it, try to stick to your game plan, right? Oh, I said that I always wanted to get to half guard because I'm really good at passing half guard. Or I wanted to pull close guard because I have a good on bar from close guard or so I've been told. Or, you know what, I my instructor told me that, yeah, maybe I should use my middle school wrestling advantage and just try to shoot a double leg, right? Not be scared that I'm going to get guillotined or maybe take his advice and when I'm shooting my double leg, not get guillotined. But this is all great advice that you can primarily get from a private instructor to help you build your game plan. Or if you have the knowledge of if maybe you were a previous athlete or maybe you had a coach before that helped you develop these type of game plans before game day, then you can do that yourself. Grahal, do you want to speak about like how you have helped some students do this? Um. So, yeah, so... What I'll say is, this is to go back to, like, if people want to give me money, please do. <laughs> you don't even have to get private lessons. But you could also do this from asking questions, although it's a little bit harder. Because if you're asking someone a question for five minutes, they might not be, like, watching your game. I think what's helped some of the students that I've worked with on doing competitions is that, number one, I know them. So I know some of the physical attributes they do or they do not have. And I'm not going to give them advice that they can't do. Like, like one of my private students, he wrestled all the way up till college. And so it's, it's much easier for me to go in and say, oh, you know, this guy, he knows how to move around. He's probably going to have, like, a good advantage on the feet. He's probably going to be able to get to the top position. Let's work on passing half guard. Let's work on staying on top. Let's work on doing those sort of things. Versus someone else who maybe they're, like, a little bit more of a couch potato and they're, they don't have any idea about what to do when they're on their feet, which is totally fine. Like, I didn't have any idea what to do on the feet before, even now, <laughs> some would say. But it's like, I'm like, okay, so let's go in. We have like this really simple system. Either we're going to go for this type of takedown or we're going to go for this type of um, guard pull. But the most important thing is we get a bunch of reps doing it. And then when we go to do it, either in like these like simulations where we're, we're doing the reps really hard or when you compete, we're going to actually do it. Like you need to fucking do it right now. And I, I think one of the biggest problems people have when they don't do that type of training, and I definitely had this all the way up through Blue Belt, people come out and they grip up and they do the jujitsu stance where they like shove their butt out like four feet away and they're just staring at each other and they have no idea what to do because they're just vibing and it's one thing to vibe i think that's a good way to to train stand up in the room maybe but when you're competing and, and there's some like board referee holding out two points when you get taken down that doesn't work because the person doesn't want to get taken down they start stalling or they're way way better than you at, at stand up and i think it's just having an idea of how you want to start the match which is different from how you start most rounds of training in jiu-jitsu. I think having an idea and being like, I don't want to say hyper-aggressive because we're not angry at our opponents, at least I'm not, but it's just like being really proactive and just being like, I got my grip, I'm going to go, 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 and I'm not going to stop until I get the outcome that I want. Yeah, I think that's a great way to view like your game plan in the first couple minutes of a match. Uh, I, I've always told every single client who has asked me this question, like, what should I do when I start any match? And it's like, you should always think about being the first person to score, right? Just because this gives such a competitive advantage, especially in a jiu-jitsu match. If we take the nearest competitive sport, which I guess would be wrestling, they did a study at like one of the major Ivy Leagues. I, I don't know if it was Penn State or if it was Harvard, whatever. 
but they did a study on wrestling matches specifically, and they saw that around like 85% of wrestlers who were able to be the first to score, right, get those first takedowns, get that first reversal, right, they eventually won the match, right? So it gave a huge competitive advantage for being the first person to score. In jiu-jitsu specifically, this typically leads to you also being on top if you manage to sweep, if you manage to take somebody down, right? If you manage to take the back, anything, right? Just doing all of those things gives you such a huge competitive advantage because now in a time-based sport, right? Not like in football, or maybe football would be a good example. Whenever you're able to run out the clock and that being your advantage, the clock becomes your friend, right? As opposed to your enemy. If you're looking at the clock and every second that's going down, you're, that's a second lost for you instead of a second you're gained, fucked. then that's that's playing from behind, right? You never want to be in that situation. It's a little coin flip at the beginning of the match whether you want to be the aggressor. And typically in most sports, being the aggressor or rather having that competitive advantage to know that being the aggressor is going to lead to a better outcome than not, right? Giovanni, what do you think? I mean, I definitely feel like uh, prepping for competition is not an easy thing to do. Um, but I don't really like, I had a couple guys compete this weekend, right? And everybody's a little bit different. So like, I think when it comes to helping people compete, it, like Ray said, right, it's important to do the private lessons. So that way we can kind of, uh, you know, help get the, be able to collect the most tools to help you out. Um, and I think everybody's different so like we all lean towards having different games and stuff so like when it comes to helping people prep and like doing the privates that's very helpful everything we said like making sure you you know on your own time accountability is important right so make sure that during your own training and all that stuff um but you know i i personally like i think that it's always going to be trial and error you know and that's the part that i think a lot of people don't like you know like you go into a competition and like sure you might have some success but without a doubt there's going to come those competitions that don't go your way but you know and that's where like drilling the escapes are important you know and and making sure that you put in the time in all areas of your game so like no matter what um it, it's always going to come back to what we said earlier right N- none of it matters in the sense that like win or lose you're going to come out of there with some experiences some lessons um that said, it's up to you what you do with it, right? It's always going to come down to that. Yeah. What I want to talk about right now, I think we talked enough about like game plan specifically, is some of the best techniques that we've seen, especially for like starting out, right? So you're in your first competition. If we were to give any recommendations specifically, um, like in terms of like what people should do as soon as they slap bump and the referee says go fight, right? I Freak think- out. <laughs> I poke. Just freak out. You know what? This is actually pretty funny because I have a student, right? Um, Odin. He's a green belt who trains here. And he went in the adult blue belt division. Now, I don't think this is a big deal because Odin is a very specific case. He is one of the last remaining kids in his cohort, like of kids who eventually grew up and stick, stuck with jiu-jitsu, yeah. which I think this is a lot of like how green belts go. I think green belts and orange belts are very rare in any jiu-jitsu school yeah. because most kids eventually grow out of like any hobby in any sport. Like how many kids say or how many adults say, yeah, I used to play soccer. I used to play baseball when I was a kid, but aren't pro MLB players, right? right. Or like aren't in like a like a minor league team or whatever. I did Taekwondo when I was a kid and... Yeah, I don't do Taekwondo now. A lot, a lot of people pick up stuff when they're kids and then just don't go into it adulthood. So it's very rare that even as a teenager, he's still competing, right? Right. But he still does it. Uh, the only way for him to get um, consistent training is for him to train against adult blue belts. Right. right? And he can't train against white belts because he's been training for several years. And even though, I mean, at least when he started, he's like a almost like a small man now. Yeah. But when he started, he didn't have the musculature of a full-grown man. So we didn't want him training with white belts who would just like powerbomb him and he couldn't train. We wanted him to train with adult blue belts. 
I'm getting uh, a little bit derailed. But what I'm saying is, what Grahala said, like, freak out, is Odin's like a little bit of a, like a crazy kid, right? He likes to train hard. He likes to go out there. And I saw the footage of him when he was training against the, or competing against an adult blue belt. He literally did that. He just freaked out. <laughs> he, like, just charged at him, grabbed onto the gi, and just started shaking him like crazy. And, like, he took him down. It's, yes. right? it's like when you lose your virginity. Yo, yeah, I don't yeah. know. I'm no, that. no. That's crazy. <laughs> I don't have that video. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is like you just like fucking blow your load in the first minute and now Word. you're gassed out and like you just you didn't go in there with a game plan is well, basically it. I don't think so Odin, that's all it takes. <laughs> that's what I mean. Yeah. yeah. I don't think Odin went over there and shot his gas thing. He actually won that match. Oh, <laughs> But the way you started that match, it did not you, sound... If you blew your wad, you, you won that match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, yeah. It's a win-win. But what I'm saying is that Odin went out there specifically knowing that he wanted to take this guy down, right? He wanted to pull on the collars, be aggressive, right? Get to a body lock. And that's eventually what he did. And he took the other guy down, mounted him, and got an armbar, right? Um, I think the first thing that I tell anybody when they say, like, what should I do when I start a match? It's like, it's a very binary decision. You either want to pull guard or you want to take the person down. There's, there's no other thing you can do. That's and it, you, right? you want to do it very quickly. You want to do it very quickly. You want to come to that decision. You want to make that decision before the match should be, has begun. And you want to be enacting that decision when the match begins. Like yeah. in the first 10 seconds of the match, yeah, you, you want, want to, be to doing have it. done some, one of those two things. Yeah, yeah. Or at least attempted to or do make, make an attempt. Yeah. yeah. Because the better you get at that, the, even though it's a binary decision, then it also becomes like a... Uh, um, delineating tree where it's like your opponent knew he want, you wanted to go for a takedown so he starts defending takedowns or he also wants to go for takedowns or he also wants to go for the guard pull or he's looking to defend the guard pull right then it just becomes a whole crazy mess but that's not at the early stages of competition right? right it's the lower levels of competition at the lower levels of competition literally the person who makes up their mind first typically gets the advantage they do what they want to do they yeah. either get the takedown or they get the guard pull and it's very hard to stop either person who is like compelled to do either to do either yeah. right it's hard to stop a good shot. It's hard to stop a good guard pull. The latter have to be true. If, if somebody's really committed to pulling guard, they will pull guard, right? If somebody wants to drag you to the floor, they can, as we've seen in, like, the jiu-jitsu versus other martial arts episodes. If I just grab onto you and we're dragging to the floor, we're going to the floor, right? It's very hard to stop that action from happening. So I think when you first slap bump, somebody, slap bump with somebody in competition, you have to have your mind already made up whether you're going to pull guard or take down. And when you are in the match, the referee says go. You should be doing either of those things. So the match starts. Are you pulling guard or are you taking down personally? You. So it really depends, right? Okay. I, I have always had the benefit, like, right before I stopped competing, I had the benefit of being slightly larger than the people in my weight class. Right. So I got a little bit more confident in taking people down. Okay. Right? I actually learned this in the second to last competition I did where I just started shooting on people and they weren't ready for it. Yeah. I was always overestimating my opponent's wrestling capabilities, but I think a well-timed double leg at the very worst just puts you in like close guard or bottom half guard. Yeah. Right. Or puts you in a position where you can just pull guard right afterwards. Right. I, I severely overestimated the fact that like some people were always going to sprawl on me and then take my back or guillotine me. Like most people aren't that good or aren't that athletic to like stop a shot and then take your back yeah. or just guillotine you right off of it. Right. Not everybody's a guillotine specialist like my no neck friend here. <laughs> right. So I think that um, if I feel like I have a size advantage on my partner, I feel that my opponent's like not as confident as my uh, as my opponent. My opponent's not as confident as like I think they are. Then I will try to go for a takedown. 
Okay. Now, if I like grip up and I feel in their grips, like they're ready for competition mode. Again, this all comes from experience. Then I'll just pull guard, right? Because then I'm able to get a, I'm able to take the initiative a lot more readily than if I did, that if I try to like wrestle them for like a minute. Because here's the thing that a lot of people most understand and why I think we're also saying like, when you slap hands, you should go, you should do something, yeah. right? Because every second that's counting down is a second less that you have that you have time to do something. Word. Right? Even if let's say the other person pulls guard on you and it's still the score is still zero zero, let's say it took them a minute to pull guard or a minute for you to get in this position. Now you have one minute less to actually score. Right. Yeah. And you have one minute less to actually resolve the match. And as we've all seen, I'm sure everybody can attest to this in every experience that they've had rolling in the gym. Let's say you're sparring with somebody, and it's really close. Neither of you have scored on each other. You mounted him. He mounted you. But then you finally get to the back, and you're like, okay, I can finish now. And then you look on the clock, and there's 30 seconds left. How the heck are you going to finish anybody in 30 seconds unless you freak out on their neck, right? You got to eye gouge yeah. them. You got to eye gouge yeah. them, right? You got to pull out your knife. and Wet willy. Yeah, you got to wet willy them. You got to pull out their hair. right? You got to go for something. The Hannibal Lecter choke. happened to me. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> you got a mic to bite the Wait, wait, wait. The Hannibal Lecter choke is crazy. crazy. You mean a hickey? Like, I'm trying, I don't want to get, I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, you got to do something, right? But it's not enough time is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, for sure. You're like, I, I have seen so many white belt, and this is the worst outcome, and this is something that I don't want our listeners to do, especially if they're competing. What I don't want you to do is I want you to slap bump with somebody, and then you play patty cake with them for two and a half minutes, especially at white belt matches where it's five minutes. It's five minute matches. That's half your time. Yeah. Right? And now you're both exhausted because you both like failed at your shitty wrestling, right? Neither of you were like... Um, confident enough to either shoot a full shot or pull the guard. And now when you do, you have two and a half minutes to do something. Some of the yeah. matches are shorter. Like Naga Masters matches, they're four minutes. That's yeah. crazy. That's what crazy. Can, it's pointless. Yeah. <laughs> it's and, like, and, and like to what Ray, I believe it was Ray said this earlier, like your first competition especially, like it's just a fit. If, you, if you've never done this before, this is where you're going to find out a lot of this shit. So yeah, don't feel bad if you've gotten in there. You play. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I played Patty Cake my first match. And... Yeah, it, it happens like we all been there, but it it's what you do with that. Right. So now now that you're like, all right, no more patty cake. Now I got to learn some stand up. And this is where you make some of these corrections. Right. Like the sometimes the biggest takeaway from these comps is like, all right, where did I fuck up? OK, I got to go work on that. So sometimes that's just the patty cake. Sometimes it's like, OK, I got to pass half guard and shit. So it's really important to come back and like make sure that you work on the stuff and the places you struggled in comp for sure. Yeah. OK. So we talked a little bit about like the concepts about like pulling versus getting the takedown. But. When you when you started this segment, you said the specific techniques. So, are there specific techniques that you would recommend to someone when it comes to that? Yeah, I I want you to tie back. Thank you for tying back into this. But um, specific techniques. I I'm a huge fan of learning how to pull guard correctly. Yeah. Right, and especially to the close guard. Right. I think if you can every time you pull guard, get them into your close guard. Right. And there's a very specific way to do this. Find out on my instructional or buy a private lesson to me or an APAC with him <laughs> or an APAC or a thousand dollar investment with me. But I think if every time you can get and pull to the close guard, it gives you such a competitive advantage because every single guard and every single technique in jiu-jitsu is accessible from the close guard, right? And people have to get out of your close guard before they even start passing your guard. You cannot pass yeah. the close guard. You cannot pass the close guard. You can escape the close guard. Right. You cannot pass it. Right. right? There's no technique. There are ways from De La Hiva, from Spider Guard, from Single Leg X to go straight to the mount. Right. I think Bill or, Cooper has a way to do it. He gets guillotined and then he freaks out and then he mounts down from word. the inside of their close <laughs> yeah. guard. So if you're Bill Cooper, right? Bill the Grill Cooper. Yeah. Then you can like pass yeah. pass the close guard. 
But I think but getting to the close guard is a, is a very high-value technique because you can immediately be offensive there. Armbar, triangle, flower sweep, hip bump sweep, kimura. Like, all of those are hugely advantageous techniques. Like, I, I think, like, Gordon Ryan made a career. Um, no, no, no. Not, well, Gordon Ryan, because he learned it from, um, who's the fake Gracie? Hodger Gracie, right? Yeah, Hodger. Pulling to close guard and then just arm dragging the crap out of people. Right, because yeah. that's it's the shortest way to the back. Yeah. Right. Uh, other than like doing like a wrestling duck under and then getting to their back, but then you still have to ground them. It's also very low risk. Yeah. They, they're not going to do anything bad to you yeah. while they're in your close guard being arm dragged. You know, that's that's what Hodger Gracie said is that if if the the worst thing happens, right, they freak out, they like posture up, you're still in the close guard. You yeah. didn't lose anything. I think the other way, uh, the other really low risk, high percentage move, like takedown wise, it's the easiest to teach everybody in jacketed wrestling is the collar drag. Yeah. Right. I was skeptical of this. I'm like, why aren't you showing them single leg? Why aren't you showing them double leg? Why aren't you showing them like a foot tr- a foot sweep? Maybe I'm bugged out on that. I didn't believe that. But like, just as an example, um, Grahalas, I want him more to talk about this. But I yeah, believe it to be yeah. the highest efficient takedown opportunity in jujitsu, especially when you're first starting out the lower levels. Like, I, I know that in when I was a white, I'm pretty sure I was a white belt. Maybe I was like a baby blue belt. Hugh Hefner was teaching class. And he showed a collar drag. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And we drilled it. And I'm like, oh, that's weird. It works. <laughs> Most moves we drilled don't work even in drilling. And then I went out. And I think like the next day or two days later, I was like in our advanced class. We were doing stand-up rounds. And I hit the collar drag on like two or three different people that day. And like pretty much no setup. And it's something that I've seen Don Her talk about where he's like, it's one of the easiest takedowns to do in the jacket. Because it's basically a sacrifice throw. You're controlling your own body weight. It's a relatively easy to get that one grip because you don't have to beat them on five grips. You just got to get the cross-collar grip. And then you're basically just throwing your ass to the ground and <laughs> dragging them with you. And there's not a lot of strong options for them to do off of it, right? And so that's something where if I'm talking to someone and they're like, oh, you know, I want to get ready for to do a competition or I just want to get good at takedowns, specifically in the gi, I'm like, well, are you already good at takedowns? Because <laughs> if you are, like some of my private students are, they're like pretty accomplished wrestlers. I'm like, okay, here's some grip breaks and then you could go do whatever you want. But if they don't have anything there already, I'm like, okay, let's work on this collar drag and let's do it a bunch of times because if you do it, like it's going to work. Like, and I've done these rounds with them. Like if I ha- let them have the collar grip and I don't break it, it's very hard for me to get counter scoring opportunities on them. And I think it's super strong. I, I think if you're trying to get better or you're trying to get like a, a quick working system in the jacket, I think collar drags are the way to go. Yeah, I, I think it's such a, a good quality technique. I think in like non-jacketed wrestling, like Nogi, a JT Torres won 280ccs by doing an arm drag, right? Which yeah. has very similar mechanics, especially like the sacrifice way he does it, which is like very similar mechanics to the arm dra- uh, to the collar drag in the in the gi that we're talking about. He Gets his grips on the upper body, namely on the back of the tricep, which would have been the cross-collar grip in the jacket. And then he makes space by opening up his body and basically taking a back step and then throwing his butt to the ground, right? And then he either gets the arm drag because he pulls the other person to the ground, exposing the back, or he gets a great single or double leg opportunity. Yeah. He did that for two 80ccs. And only it took until the third 80cc for PJ Barge to be like, no, you. Yeah, right, yeah. and basically did it back to him, yeah. right? Or figured out a way to do it, or uh, figured out a way to escape it, right? Yeah. So it it literally wins world championships. These types of like arm drags and collar drag takedowns because they're so non-committal, right? You can stand back up, or most of the time, and this is what I love about like um what I've seen, like especially how Grahalis teaches it, is that if you fail at it, you typically end up in half guard, 
Yeah. Or you typically yeah. end up in close guard, right? Both of which are very good outcomes. They, they fail yeah. pretty safe. Yeah. They do fail very, very safe. And and I mean, not to cut you off, like uh, low efficient, like foot sweeps have also grown in popularity yeah. in combination with the arm drags, right? Because like you said, their defense is like to pull back, posture up, and then that's when you see that kind of, you know, being popular, especially in Nogi. Yeah. Yo, shout out to Double Pendejo of the Week, Black Horse again. <laughs> there was a time when Black Horse was practicing foot sweeps. But he would just Muay Thai kick everybody my, in the my shins. My shins still hurt a little bit sometimes. That's crazy. Yeah. Right? We had to tell him, we had to ban foot sweeps here at the gym because people were like, oh, this is how Black Horse taught me how to do it. What? <laughs> well, I mean, if we're talking about like stuff we've had to tell Black Horse, he's, uh, the, fir- no. he's the first person I had to ever be like, yo, you got to wear shorts. Period. Um, like you never wear n- spats alone. So. Some people are great examples and some people are terrible warnings. And <laughs> yeah. he, he's in the terrible warning camp. <laughs> yeah. Some of... Uh, some of the takedowns that we've talked about, some of the techniques that we've talked about are always going to be reinforced with specific training and consistent drilling, right? right? So one thing, one way that I would definitely train both of these techniques is I would start with these grips from a standing up position, right? And right. that's something that I feel most people don't do before a competition. They don't start from the feet, right? Start with these grips already in your hands and then make the comp- or make the winning condition getting to this position or pulling off the technique, yeah. right? Start with a cross-collar grip and say, okay, ready, go, jiu-jitsu. So you go, ready, go. And then you immediately try to do the collar drag against a fully resisting opponent, but with you having the advantage of already having your grip set. I think it's a little bit difficult to train with like, okay, I'm going to train specifically in mind to go for the collar drag, but I'm not going to have my grip set because your opponent is either going to have to let you uh, get the grips anyway, or they're just going to be fighting the grips too hard and you're going to have to do something else, right? Right. Um, There was another student of mine... um, We'll call her the uh, uh, the Night Witch, right? So the Night Witch <laughs> is trying to really get uh, trying to get really really good at straight ankle lock, right? Yeah. But okay. I think the best way to get a straight ankle lock is something that sh- her um, her coach has probably taught her is that the fact you have to start in straight ankle lock. If you yeah. want to be good at finishing straight ankle lock, you have For to sure. tell people yeah. you have to like, hey, let's start in a full straight ankle lock, yeah, which yeah, would yeah. normally be unfair. But not unfair if you're trying to get good at that specific technique. Sometimes you got to work backwards, right? Exactly. You got to work from that position and then, okay, yep. how do I get there and stuff like that. Yep. No, for sure. One th- I agree. So if you want to get better at collar drag, if you want to get better at pulling guard to close guard, you have to start on the feet, starting with these specific grip set, playing ready, go, jiu-jitsu, and then just going full force against a resisting opponent. Yeah. Not saying the other person can't defend. That's why I'm saying a fully resisting opponent. They'll give you active feedback. They'll really try to resist the technique, but at least you'll start with the advantage of being in that position so you know how to fight when you're in that position. You're, you're most sure. of the way there. Yeah. Um, we talked about guard pulling mostly in the gi. Do you have a way that you... I mean, I'm a guard puller for life, yeah. um, but do you have a way that you prefer to go about guard pulling in no gi? Because, I mean, I think, like, yeah, in the gi, it's, for us, it's, like, it's more straightforward, right? We can grab the collar sleeve, and we can kind of go very traditional. But in no gi, when you don't prefer wrestling or maybe wrestling isn't the kind of strategy you want to use, do you have, like, a specific grip set or, or a way you like to go about that? Yeah, so when I'm in Nogi, it's it's very specific to me. I always want to get to my double inside positioning, right, okay. that John Denneher, uh talks about, especially against a standing opponent where both my feet are between the legs, and then eventually get the single leg X where I can start reaping, right, X guard right. where I can start sweeping very easily, right, or maybe uh, reverse the Lihiva where I can start working my false reap. I just gave away my entire Nogi game. <laughs> <laughs> now you can never go back now to competing. Yeah, I can never go back to competing. They're going to know. Uh, so... I, I just want to get to that position. So right. what I do specifically, I get a collar tie, and then I just get my base very low, and then I look like I'm going for a snap down. 
right? So maybe I'll even like feint a snap down, get the head start, like bobbing the head up and down. But then when they start posturing up, I'll just shoot my hips and my legs underneath them. I think I think Gordon Ryan did it to Yuri Samoas, right? In like, uh, like ADC- yeah, ADCC, where he just shot the single leg guys very quickly. And then that was uh, Roosevelt something. Oh, yeah, um, Roosevelt Souza. It was yeah, and it was like in thirteen seconds or so. Yeah. It was yeah, one yeah. of the fastest admissions at ADCC. But yeah. like that is the picture perfect outcome yeah. for me, right? I'll just pull down on the head like he did, and then when Roosevelt Souza postured up. He just slid, he slid his hips underneath Roosevelt's toes, got to single leg position, and got to the heel and just started cranking on it, right? Yeah. I, I think that is the picture-perfect ideal outcome for me and what's something that I'm trying to replicate in every single match to, to a certain extent. I'm not going right, but that's my game plan when I'm in Nogi, right? Nope. He doesn't have the sex club yet. I don't have the sex that's club. That's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, I don't have the... <laughs> Working on it. I, I don't have the plastic surgery Brazilian girlfriend that I want everybody <laughs> to have sex with in front of me. That, I'm not there at that level of achievement yet. I'm not young and successful. Is that what that, that would You are young. It? I am young. But I'm you're definitely successful. not successful. You're successful. Not, not in the way that Gordon Ryan is. Ah, okay. I mean, success is relative. I don't right? have the sex club. Okay. It's only success. <laughs> um, Giovanni, what about you? Is there any, like, nogi-specific, like, techniques that you like to pull? So you, like, slap bump with the opponent and the first thing you want to do? I'm usually because, I mean, I think what you said, like, collar tie is good if I can get that. Sometimes I'll do that. I think because of the way the competitions are set up and the way the rules are set up, I'm just trying to make contact. So I find myself a lot, I'll just grab the wrist and I'll sit. You know, I think to what you said, you want that double inside. So sometimes I, I being short, I don't always get to uh, cover that distance very well or they, or to what Anthony said, right? They take this stance where their hips are far away and it's just like, if I pull, it, would, it won't put me in the position where I want to be. So usually I'll just grab the wrist and I get to my sit-up guard and now we're in this kind of, like you said, the inside, double inside position where they're going to come into my guard or now I have to start engaging and like um, I'm going shin to shin and I'm trying to elevate, get under the legs to what you said. You know, if they kneel down, then it just kind of, it's still open guard. Now we go into half guard and stuff like that. So not that I have an answer for everything, but I think when it comes to pulling, I try to analyze, okay, they're either going to be on their feet passing or on their knees. I just have to make sure that I can get to my guard. So I'll grab both wrists sit or I'll go two on one and I sit and then just kind of get into my game um and yeah that's pretty that's how I like to go about it but I mean I also think it is important to know some wrestling um and and being able to at least have a, a takedown that you can rely on and even more importantly just like even having a sprawl like active hand fighting I, I think there's some of these details sometimes we tend to overlook so um Ray said be first Right. I think uh, and Anthony as well. Like that's something that I tell before anybody before I coach anybody before they get on the mat. First thing, first and last thing I tell them, be first, slap hands and try to, you know, grab a collar first, pull guard first, anything like that. So, yeah. All right. So I'm going to I'm going to reinforce something Giovanni said, because that's for a long time. That was my preferred way to pull guard. Yeah. Was I would grab onto the hands and sit down. And then one time I was lazy when I did it, and the guy tapped my foot, and I gave up two points, and I was pissed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's something where if you do it, you you can't be lazy. You have to, like, be super quick about it. Yes. You have to make sure that their foot's not coming out, that they're not timing you, which just goes kind of for all guard pulls. I think it's just a little bit harder with Nogi sometimes to do that because there's less of a grip. So as you're sitting down, if he pulls his hand out, then you, you have to guess, wait, was my butt really down? Is the ref going to give me a penalty and stuff like that? So what I've started doing lately is let's – Less lazy, but it's also harder to fuck up if I actually do it, which is, shout out to the Wilty brothers, shooting like a bullshit single leg, like low single from like 10 feet away. Like I'm shooting from really far away. I make some sort of contact with their leg as I'm sitting down and either A, they freak out and they let me take them down. I'm like, oh, great. 
or B, they have to defend it. But in the process of defending it, I've pulled bottom guard. Yeah. And sometimes I could get to a really strong guard position off of it. Sometimes I'll get right to like shin on shin or something like that because that's the types of guards I like to play. Or sometimes we'll just back up and then we're playing. Well, I'm just an open guard and just trying to engage with them. But I think that's a, that's a very difficult to punish way. And that's also how I started pulling guard in the gi as well. Just like shooting in, grabbing onto the pant leg, pulling them towards me, and then getting my game going because it's so much harder for someone to punish you when you do that. Like if I come in and I get the collar tie because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to do, you know, the quote unquote prototypical guard pull. They could do shit to me. They could be like, oh, check this out. Boom. And blast double me into yeah, yeah, the score yeah. stable. And I think that technique is so hard to punish specifically. I'm pretty sure that's the actual reason leg grabs are banned in judo because someone would get a by an advantage or yeah. a penalty or whatever. And they would just start shooting like super low single and double legs and turtle up and just kill the clock. It's really hard to punish that that guard pull. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's probably been my highest success, like taking down um, much higher level people than me is exactly what Gohala said. I'll just shoot a low single from a mile away, right? And then what will typically happen is that exactly what he just said, I'll be able to get into a guard pull, right? They won't necessarily be able to punish me or they just weren't ready for it, right? And uh, like the, the low single is probably my favorite takedown to go for right now just because it's so low risk, so high reward. Uh, that's probably my favorite takedown to go for in Nogi. So if we're talking about like, why I rather I can't do the collar drag. It's probably going to be the low single. I think if you look at the most accomplished American wrestler in history, right, in freestyle wrestling, it's going to be John Smith. And he basically reinvented the low single, right? He just did it to such great success that he was able to win NCAA titles. He was able to win Olympic gold medals, right? He was able to win world champions, world championships with it. I think the low single is something that is incredibly undervalued in no-gi um, jiu-jitsu. Uh, I think a lot of people are afraid that they're going to be caught in the reverse triangle or maybe like a crucifix position. But I think it's a, it's an incredibly safe position if you know your bailout options, if you know how to Iranian effectively, if you know how to uh, your, uh, uh, counter off of it specifically when they try to go over your back or try to like go around you, right? I, I think I think it's an incredibly safe submission to go for, uh, incredibly safe to, uh, takedown to go for. Yeah, no, I 1,000% agree. Um, I did have a question kind of related to comp um, a little bit. not So now with the sport of jiu-jitsu, you know, becoming more professional, um, I was talking to somebody the other day, and they they were saying that they feel like the, the direction that it's going, that schools are now going to have professional teams, right? Not that that wasn't going on, but now like... Oh, it could be formalized? Yeah, a little bit more formalized. More like like we had kind of talked about, like, uh, it'll be more like the MLB where like, okay, maybe uh, Tres Golpes has a, a pro team and they're the fucking Mangu or whatever it yeah. is, you know? Like, um, right now with the big schools, um, do you guys have any do you have like a top three schools that you feel like would be the strongest competitors in that realm, like with the strongest professional teams right now in the sport of jiu-jitsu? So I think this is very funny that you ask this because at the recording, at the time of the recording of this podcast, there is like a, a quintet event. I don't know if it's on UFC Fight Pass or wherever okay. it is, but it's basically like... It probably is because Sakuraba's running it. Okay. Yeah. So it is the equivalent of exactly what you're saying and yeah, what yeah. we can see going on. 
Um, uh, the big thing, like we talked about in the previous podcast, Gi versus Nogi is Nogi right now. So I don't want to go into like Gi teams, but let's just stick with Nogi teams right now. Yeah. I think everybody knows who they are. They're probably either um, Roka, uh, Gordon Ryan's team out of Texas, or uh, B Team Jiu Jitsu, again, coming out of Texas. But then you still have like the, um, the mainstays there that always make the playoffs, like uh, the 10 Planet Freaks, right? With the Freakazoid, right? Gio Martinez, like uh, yeah. John Thor Blank, right? All those guys. Kyle Boheim, PJ Barch, PJ Barch, 10th Planet guy. Like all these guys who make ADCC on their own. So I think it, to answer your question, I'm not going to give a specific answer. I'm just going to tell you whoever wins that Quintet event, right? Because that's honestly how we find out, right? Yeah. I think that's why I love Quintet because... It takes. It's just such a good way to get so many big names in the same bracket, yeah. And a good way to like get more people backing a certain team because people don't want to back one person. They don't want to be like a certain nut rider, right? It's not like the WWE because people don't know how to sell themselves. It's much easier to sell a team of people, yeah, right, than it is to sell one individual person. That's why Survivor Series was such a long lasting pay per view for that reason. Like they did such a good job putting teams together. but yeah, no, I, because I was having this conversation, I, was, I thought I'd bring it here to the pod, especially because of I, when they said that, I also thought about Quintet and some of their events. And it's a, such a different way to get uh, new people into jiu-jitsu. It's a different, uh, you know, different structure, like having teams versus teams. So it's really cool. Yeah. Um, I want to leave this podcast off by saying that I recognize that we didn't go over any like, okay, so you got the collar drag. You got on top or you pulled guard and you're in ha- and you're a closed guard. What now? Right. The honest opinion is literally do anything, anything you want. Right. Because you're at such a competitive advantage. I-, I will pull off two specific examples. One that happened in our real personal life and another one that happened in professional jiu-jitsu. A student of Anthony's by the name of Justin. Right. Shout out to Justin. Shout out to Justin. Went and did a competition and just did the same collar drag that he practiced over and over again with Anthony. And you know what happened? He basically flying mounted him, right? He, he mounted the guy like two seconds in. Yeah. Like two oh, seconds yeah. So he collar dragged him and then he just pulled mount, right? Rough match. That was that crazy. Yeah. It was cra- I've never seen that before happen in my I've life. I've never seen him before. It was like he was up six points within the first 10 seconds of the match. I like... I, all, full disclosure, he actually ended up losing that match. Oh man! That, I don't want to. We, we cut, Kit, cut that out. Kit, Kit cut that out. Kit, don't don't put that in. Kit. But honestly, that shout outs to Justin for being able to pull that off. But also shout outs to he Justin. Did, yeah, yeah, he he didn't know how to do a collar drag like like oh, a couple weeks before that match. It was something that he just didn't know about. But ninety yeah. percent of the time, that's it. The match is over. Yeah, the match is over. You win, right? You can do anything from the mount if you manage to collar drag somebody. And pull top mount, you win. Yeah. You win. You're you're in the best position to submit. You're in the best position to take the back. You're in the best position to literally write out the clock and just stay on top of the guy and not do anything. Right? Yeah. Another example, and this is multiple examples, but one in specific, was Andy Murasaki at the previous European Championships. He did this sweep that I just call the Atos guard pull, right? Which is how me and Grahala say that everybody should pull guard. He pulls guard immediately to like a close guard type position and immediately scissor sweeps. Immediately scissor sweeps. Yeah. Gustavo Batista does this. Yeah. Kanan Duarte does this. And Andy Murasaki started doing this after he switched to Atos, right? Yeah. I call it the Atos guard pull because this is how all the Atos guard, Atos players pull guard. It's right? like almost like more like a sacrifice throw yeah. than anything. It, it's almost like a sacrifice though. They pull you in so deep to get your upper body forward. They get their feet in the scissor sweep positioning and they just start ripping it over to the side and getting to that mounted position. They literally pull guard to mount. It is it is six points. And at that point, they win the match. Yeah. I haven't seen 
a time when they do this and they don't win the match. Yeah. Right. If they're able to get to the mount, they're gonna win. Um, I think it's really important to note that when they do this, they're doing it with exceedingly full effort. So they're like trying their hardest to like really try to sweep you over to the mount. And again, like we've talked about in already on the show, the worst thing that can happen is that they just get close guard. Right. That's that's the worst thing that can happen. And if you're the person on the receiving end of this, this is why the this is why you got to prep for it, right? You yeah. if you got mounted, got to work on your mount escapes. Yeah. If you got if somebody's in your half guard, that's why you got to work on your half guard stuff. Like this is because sometimes we're not all Andy Murasaki, we're not all fucking Anthony. We ain't gonna do the college drag. Sometimes we're on the receiving end, and that's why it's important to work on all areas of your game for sure. So the reason why we didn't talk about like the mid and end stages of the match is because you if you start out with such a lead on your opponent. It doesn't matter what you do afterwards. You just win the match. You just quite literally get, just don't tap. You, you literally <laughs> just don't tap. You hear pops that the singer. That's head. it. It's July fourth. Doesn't count. You doesn't literally count just win the match after tap. like you have a good start. Yeah, right? that's all you do. And I think it's. I think the stand up is more universal. Where like Ray said, you're either pulling guard or wrestling. Obviously, that becomes more about you as an individual. But the rest of that, it's really going to become more about, you know, very more specific about you, like what kind of passes you lean towards and stuff like that. So it is hard to get into what, you know, it's hard to tell people what to do. But yes, if you're on top and you, you know, let's say you do end up in half guard, stay on top. Don't let them fucking sweep you. Open the guard. Like, you don't always have to be in a rush to get to these positions as you start to progress. But, um, yeah, it's not it's not always an easy thing to dictate tell people what to do. Yeah. All right, everybody, that's gonna wrap it up for episode seventeen of the Latinx Guard Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for giving us a lot of positive feedback on the podcast. Again, we love it when anybody just comes up to it in person and says we listen to the podcast. I we love listening. it even more when the haters hate. <laughs> we love all y'all. So thanks so much for listening. Shout out to our sponsors again, um, CMB Bakery on Seventh Street between A and B, Great Baked Goods. Shout out to 7th Street Burger. Um, multiple locations throughout the city, mostly on the Lower East Side and Lower Manhattan, but you can literally find them even in Jersey City now. Uh, shout outs to Show Your Role for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks, Bear. Thanks, Bear. We love you. Great geese. I wouldn't wear any other geese. Hyperfly, eat a dick. Um, Hyperfly. <laughs> and I, I want to give a special shout out to uh, Anthony and Ray. Um, you motherfuckers make me laugh, and I really appreciate doing this with you guys. Uh, I don't want to end it on a too soft note, but I just really want to say thank you, guys. Thank you. Shout out to Giovanni for beating me up. (laughs) (laughs) Nah, I didn't. Um, You can follow us on Latinx Guard Podcast on Instagram. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. You can find us on Spotify. So a lot of a lot of people don't know that we're on Apple Podcasts. Um, I don't know if it's something with the search engine, but I I've literally been on people's phones and typed typed in Latinx Guard Podcast and it doesn't come up. And then when I do it on my phone, it comes up. I don't know. Maybe we're being sabotaged. Like shadow ban already. Shadow ban. That's oh, crazy. Man. We didn't even. We not even big yet. That's Shit. crazy, and That's we're already getting shadow banned. But we are on Apple Podcasts. If you can't find it, please message the podcast. We will send you the Apple Podcast link so you can find it. Uh, you can also find us on our host site, Simplecast. Thank you so much for Simplecast for. Actually, what am I thank you for? I pay you guys to host my podcast. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Simplecast, for existing. Okay. Um, you can find me at Mundo on Instagram. You can find Jobani at Jobani underscore Rosario. And you can find Anthony Grajales at 
Chairman underscore Fu. We are all available for seminars and private lessons. Feel free to book us uh, whenever you want. If super you want. fights. Super fights. Everything. <laughs> Where's the Nicholas Margali? I'll get paid to get tapped out by Nicholas Margali. Shaq, we're still waiting for you and somebody to come through. Oh, no. Ray and I are Let's waiting. Let's go. Let's go. If you want to bring a third person, we, with three on three, we got we Anthony here. Quintet. Quintet style. Say less. 5v1. <laughs> we're still waiting. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day.